This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome if you are new here. What you are about to hear is an audio version of a astrology forecast that I shared to my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch, so you can also see it on video there. And this podcast is a place where I share both these forecasts as well as interview conversations with people that I find inspiring. Hey, this is Sabrina Monarch of Monarch Astrology, bringing you the astrology forecast for March 2nd to March 8th, 2022. Please like this video, leave a comment, let me know at some point what resonates with you, and subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. You can also hit the notification bell so that you get notified when new videos come out. So this week holds an unusual amount of exact conjunctions, and planetary conjunctions are when you have two planets that are in the same exact degree and second of the zodiac. We have Mercury and Saturn, the sun and the moon, which is a new moon when the sun and moon are conjunct, Mars and Pluto, Venus and Pluto, and then Venus and Mars. And so literally there are, you know, those are the the transits, all of these conjunctions. And it gave me a moment to sit down with my thoughts on how profound conjunctions are. Not only do you have these two planets coming together and for a moment fusing into each other, interpenetrating each other, infusing each with the essence of the other, but you also have either the very end of a cycle as planets are approaching a conjunction or the very beginning of a cycle after the conjunction has been exact and one of the planets is moving on a little bit faster than the other or a lot faster than the other. There's a lead up to the conjunction, so this end of the cycle that is a little bit like life flashing before our eyes before we pass on to the next adventure. Um, It's like, what do we call it? (laughs) The next journey um, and the next lifetime is actually kind of how I would contextualize it, the in-between between lifetimes. But anyway, there's this sense that all these images flash through our mind and there's this fullness of what has the journey been. Um, It's this oceanic sense of vastness beyond rational context um, when we encounter it oftentimes. So it could be, you know, an example of this in an individual's life that has that end of a cycle energy could be a person, you know, two people meeting each other who are meeting for the first time in this lifetime, but they have countless prior lifetimes and a lot of karma and a lot of history together. So when they meet, there's this huge sense of like, there's something here, but I don't even know what it is. The spiritual objective of this culminating phase before planets join in a conjunction is to resolve issues or reach insight about patterns so that we can finish them like graduating a grade so we can move to the next level. Not that we always tie up every bow perfectly. Often the material gets carried over to the next cycle. And then after the conjunction is exact, there's a deep subjectivity and a sense of possibility. So we're at the new phase. The planets have just formed the conjunction and an entirely new cycle is beginning, right? There's an open road in front of us. And what I think is really magical and interesting about this is informed by um, Dane Rujar, the great astrologer, um, the great late astrologer. He writes about this kind of intense subjectivity of two planets that come together where um, there's an open road or like our life is in front of us, but it's like a blank projection screen. 
and we're just projecting onto it our hopes, desires, uh, subjective consciousness. We don't necessarily have a lot of reference points yet for what the journey is going to be. We act on instinct. We're feeling our way through the dark. Some of the material from the past cycle that has been carried over inevitably gets recycled or perpetuated into the new one and it tints our perception accordingly. So this week, and I'm going to bring it back from the um, super conceptual as best I can, this week will be rich in culminative insight. So a sense of this has been a long time building. Now I see it. It's like this full reveal kind of energy. Um, as well as a robust sense of possibility that is whatever we project it to be. So if you could do anything, would you feel oppressed by that freedom in the sense that you have to pick something? Or would you be delighted to be so free? If you're ending a relationship or moving cities, is this gut-wrenching and just the worst thing? Or is it exciting and exhilarating and tender. In some sense, there may be an inertia going into or an inertia going of how we've tended to contextualize and tell stories about the situations we find ourselves in. But there may be room here for creative rebirths, taking on an entirely new lens and seeing what we can create from scratch. So in just a moment, I'll get into the new moon and all of these conjunctions in more detail. I just want to share a few announcements. One is that my astrology reading books are open. You can follow the link in the notes to my website to book with me. I'm pretty sure I'm soon going to be offering in-person readings in Portland as well. So I'll keep you updated about that. And the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive is beginning again in May. It's a comprehensive program to speak, get your bearings, speaking the language of astrology from the evolutionary astrology perspective, which is depth and soul oriented and relates to placing ourselves on a multi-lifetime journey, reading the natal chart from the perspective of a deep soul history and an inquiry into what we're doing in this life. And this is an all levels program. I welcome people who have studied other forms of astrology. I welcome astrological practitioners. I also welcome newcomers, um, people that have a, you know, desire to follow astrology as a kind of like serious track that you're on, as well as people who are just excited to have the perspective and be able to become more fluent in of themselves so that you're not just relying on books or other astrologers interpretations, but that you have your own personal relationship with the language. Um, that's a huge thing that this course is in service to in sense of helping you build your archetypal eye, map out your own emotional, personal connections to the archetypes and be able to read charts um, as someone who's more formally studied in astrology, as well as someone who's built a stronger intuitive grasp of the practice. So you can read more about the course, read student testimonials on the course page, which I have linked below as well. And here's our week. On March 2nd, we have a Mercury in 18 degrees of Aquarius conjunct Saturn in 18 degrees of Aquarius. And so we have the uh, fusion of the archetype of Mercury, the communicator, the messenger, as well as Saturn, this sober, dry, cold planet that relates to boundaries and responsibility and integrity and structure. So Mercury and Saturn come together for careful speech, sometimes repressing speech or being silent, either because of a strong inner critic um, and a sense of we're repressing ourselves or we feel like we're in a situation where it doesn't feel appropriate to speak. Um, sometimes it can be coming from a place of wisdom, like we understand that speaking something into the space might be not well-timed or cause more havoc than good, <clears throat> right? And so... Mercury and Saturn, there is something about at least choosing our words more carefully. There's a strong inner editor, for better or worse. Um, 
I mean, really be mindful of this one, right? I think it's really interesting. Something that has really touched me in the last few weeks is just thinking about um, self-kindness as something that it's like, yeah, whatever, like be kind to yourself, like what a cliche, you know, but to actually listen to the way that I'm talking to myself and realize um, that level of self-criticism where I have it is also not, you know, it's a place that I'm impatient with other people as well. You know, it's not just like I'm treating other people uh, in the way that, you know, I won't grant to myself. It's like there's a reflection in my inner world. And so I've noticed that the kinder I am to myself and noticing these thoughts, the more um, grace I can give others as well. Right. So just hearing that inner transcript and like, wow, that that's a really mean or self-punishing thought. Like, can I work with that? Can I shift it? Mercury and Saturn also have a tenacity to stick with a problem or something difficult until it's resolved. In other words, it thinks very hard. Um, and in Aquarius, the two may be seeking to understand or contextualize a paradigm or a system, something with wide ranging nuance, depth and complexity that may actually be a struggle to fully identify with language. Um, so on the one hand, someone could have like writer's block and they just sit and they're staring at a blank page and they won't even let themselves talk because there's such a strong inner prohibition, right? Um, or someone's deep hours into a writing session and it's like they're still like tinkering and they like totally can't like completely find the words, but they're in the struggle of it. And I think Mercury, Saturn, um, it's not just going to be prohibitive, prohibitive um, or challenging or a sense of block mentally. Um, it could be like a good wrestle with those sense like that sense of mental restriction and feeling the breakthrough Aquarius therein. Um, but often that that means going through the um, challenge. And there may be impasses with this transit where we're called into innovative solutions, approaching a problem or a pattern from a new frame of consciousness and deriving a solution or a path from that new frame. This can call for mental discipline, Mercury, Saturn, mental discipline to reorient to a new paradigm, Aquarius, even as we're more familiar and habituated to the old one. So we find ourselves straddling these different worlds, our awareness and habits related to an old paradigm, as well as our conception and experimentation with embodying the new one. Slowness and deliberation with thought may facilitate the personal software update that we're going through. Um, like when we begin to purposely end one habit, as that habit crops up, taking the time to catch ourselves and adjust and implement the new habit. Then on the same day, we have a new moon in 12 degrees of Pisces at 9.35 a.m. Pacific. And you may have been catching um, in some of the last forecasts that I've been getting really into the decans, um, especially for the lunations. And so all of the signs are divided into three decans and 12 Pisces puts us in the second decan, which has a really strong theme about um, the thread between the invisible and the visible and the um, constant connection and weaving of the two. So Pisces brings us to contemplations of how we are at once spirit and also material, a soul and a human, a being navigating the interplay between timeless and eternal truth and ephemeral circumstance and fluctuations of fortune. So who we are eternally or what, you know, the big eternal context of everything versus the temporary moment to moment rise and fall of circumstances. One of the ideals of Pisces is to merge with the all. This could look like a spirit-led life that is fully in the body, you know, not the forms of spirituality that are really disembodied or body-denying, um, but spirituality that merges with the physical and with the material. 
This is as opposed to being a dreamer who doesn't materialize their dreams and only fantasizes, or someone who neglects the material in favor of the spiritual. This is also opposed to someone who is so intoxicated by circumstance and appearances of the material world that they don't contemplate the larger meaning or pulse behind it all. To work with Piscean reality is to acknowledge that everything material conceivably has immaterial or invisible counterparts and vice versa. I think it can also be important to um, stop giving it a a final like chicken or the egg situation of like, oh, the material is what forms the immaterial. Like my brain chemistry is what makes my consciousness, you know, or it's my consciousness that makes my brain chemistry. It's like, why can't they both be interpenetrating like causal realities to each other? You know, who knows? This is like a philosophical question. But I think that there's often a tendency within individuals to privilege the material or the immaterial instead of creating that like infinity flow between them. So in action, this can look like our choices or habits as prayer, that we find a kind of alignment between what we are doing or how we are being and a bigger dream or transcendent value that we are courting or being mused by. You know, so this means that we, um, have some concept of what our ideals are, you know, what our dreams and wishes are, the kinds of things that we um, feel enchanted by, and then what concrete ways of being in the world or being with ourselves mirror those higher ideals. Ultimately, as we'll also be, you know, in the air when the moon is full in Virgo in two weeks, To be a devoted dreamer is also to develop discernment. When we work with the invisible, we have the power to be visionaries who are spiritually attuned, right? Like the, um, I think a lot of people who've worked toward a dream and believed in it before it was uh, manifest and something that people could see and point to, they had to be really um, in relationship with faith, Right. But there is the possibility of working toward a dream that never manifests, that is more in the realm of fantasy alone. And there's not that successful uh, weaving between the realms. So we can run the risk of applying ourselves toward illusions. And I speak from experience, too. I've had experience of, you know, manifesting dreams that, um, I believed in and it was like on point as well as, you know, giving so much energy and investment to something only to be very disillusioned and, you know, start, start anew. And so we have to be willing to adjust as we keep tuning to a pulse of truth, um, as opposed to just getting, you know, more and more pushy or delusional about the thing. Um, and it's, a tricky thing to navigate because part of faith or part of working toward a dream is having the belief. Um, and so there's a, a kind of internal calibration of where are we coming from? Like, are we really working towards something that's true or are we, um, ignoring maybe some deeper truth that's wanting to show itself. Another thing I want to bring up is seeing if you can feel into the oceanic momentum of being connected to your dream power, your creative dream power, so that when you begin to be in touch with the frequency that's on its way to you, that you're calling in, that you're one with, it's in the invisible, but you feel your pull to it. You feel the threads that connect you to it. What does it feel like to feel that wave starting to build? So I was reflecting on times in my earlier life where before kind of understanding frameworks about natural law or about magic or about how energetics work and before fully trusting magic in the universe, I still was engaging in these acts of petitioning the universe for things and aligning my life to receive what I was asking for. And because I didn't fully believe, I would go so hard um, in the pursuit 
you know, like kind of just bringing a lot of extra to it. And then the results would eventually hit me like a tidal wave, like a huge, like, whoa, kind of feeling. And I think it was mirroring my own intensity of the pursuit, right? Um, Initially, I think many people like being slapped awake by a huge wave like that. Um, But where can it show up more subtly, right? Like if you... Let me, I'll think of another example in a moment. But what modes of being are more spiritually creative for you? and start to call in more magic to your life, right? And so the Pisces energy, you know, relates to the ocean and the tide, like the water pulls back and it doesn't feel like that much is happening. There is that undertow and then it folds up into a wave and then like crashes over the situation, right? And so when we are kind of in that practice of, prayer or aligning with the invisible. I think we're kind of in that process of like the ocean undertow, like coming back, like we're kind of courting something. And then there is the overflow, right? If we tap into the magic and find our alignment there, it's not like our attempts always work, but I think that we can start to feel when we're really onto something. And it's like, I feel the wave coming. I feel my desires on their way to me. I feel like my will is aligned with the universe, universal will. Like you can feel that, um, oceanic power essentially. And, you know, I think that there's a way that we um, sometimes go to sleep or, you know, stop caring about our connection to the universe and we get kind of in the material world and then we have a really deep need or a problem or we're kind of in a situation. And so with this great zest, we, you know, petition the universe for help, you know, and we may receive an answer to the prayer. Um, but it's like, why do we only go when things get so bad? Why do we only approach the universe when we want something? And I think with Pisces and this kind of connection between the invisible and the visible, thinking about what it would be like to live in more consistent relationship with the invisible, invisible merging so that we're not just waiting until the tide is like all the way out and so low and we're so desperate that then we, you know, court the universe. A deeper vision and possibility with Pisces is a ritualist way of life where the way we are moving is in connection to the dream. It does not require always being a certain kind of way, always wearing white and prayer beads or something like that. Like it doesn't have to look a certain way. But how, you know, what is your particular dream or the truth that runs through your being, like your dharma? And like, how would you live a life in ceremonial connection to that? So we have these conditioned and normalized ways of being in the world or having a mundane experience. But what if the entirety of life is something that we make to be a work of art? in harmony with the invisible and aspirational threads. In that case, how would we move? How would we engage fashion? How would we um, invest our resources or make life decisions? It's visionary energy. Um, And then I wanted to note that some people have trauma with the experience or word of prayer, you know, and therefore resist it or resist communicating with the universe. Um, because, you know, this trauma of like religion and limited ways of thinking about how we can be in contact with something larger than ourselves, you know, being given a way to do that from our family of origin or like a religious institution. And I always encourage people to reclaim their connection to the universe, um, you know, if you're tuning into astrology, you're already kind of on that, you know, But having a personal relationship with speaking to the universe, to particular deities or angels, and even to our own soul um, can be profoundly opening. 
In these conversations, we touch a more timeless part of ourselves, and the very act of prayer transforms us in the way it is a relationship and a perspective shift. And then on March 3rd, Vesta, Pluto, Mars, and Venus, I just want to note, they're still in a Capricorn stellium. And I recorded a special podcast about it. You can find the link in the notes um, or find it on a recent episode of Magic of the Spheres. Um, But on this day, we have both Mars conjunct Pluto and Venus conjunct Pluto. So to start, Mars in 27 degrees of Capricorn conjunct Pluto in 27 degrees of Capricorn at 12.43 a.m. Pacific. At a mundane level, people can be volatile right now because the volcanic unconscious force of Pluto is merged with the fiery hot impulse of Mars. Small things seem larger, um, but reactions inflame the situation. At a more disempowered level, Mars, Pluto, and Capricorn can speak to the difficulties around containing raw and turbulent emotions and thus lashing out or spilling out or not being able to move the raw and turbulent feelings and just stuffing them deeper inside. You know, I want to note too that um, it's not just that small things can seem larger, like some things can actually be large. Um and threatening and, you know, emergency situations and whatnot. But there's also a way that due to nervous system, you know, chronic stress, um, constant like fight or flight kind of mode that small things trigger a stress response and it becomes bigger than what the actual like minute trigger is. At a more empowered level, Mars and Pluto and Capricorn could be the skillful wielding of intense feelings. It takes a lot of self-awareness and self-refinement to become more clean with our most intense and turbulent parts, right? So it's not necessarily just something that we accomplish overnight. It is a cumulative result of personal development. It also speaks to a process of expanding our energetic and embodied capacity to be with the material, right? To have be able to be with the sensation. And then there's a possibility that we might be needing to consider if our distress is a result of emotional addiction. So our body being addicted to the state, for example, of releasing stress hormones and living stressed out all the time, because that's the wheel we keep running and we keep finding situations to validate it and ways of living to keep being in relationship with it. And or habitually placing ourselves in contexts that aren't correct for us. Anger, frustration, or exhaustion could signal that we need to redesign aspects of our life or psyche as something has boiled over. You know, and it's Pluto. So Pluto relates to evolution and like the deep inner impulse that we have to evolve and adapt and adaptation can involve like our relationship with threat, right? Like when um, an environment changes, the capacity to work with those changes. Um, And I think that evolution in that way, there's often a kind of mysterious pulse to it where, um, say you found yourself in an adverse situation and you developed a way to cope with it or a way to even thrive in it that you wouldn't have imagined that you even had that inside of yourself. And so evolution relates to transcending current limitations, right? And so with Mars, Pluto and the sense of being angry or frustrated or having all this passion or all this heat moving through our bodies, um, one of the higher impulses of Mars is protecting what's valuable, right? And also knowing when something needs to change, right? Like, um, the personal journey of having like a really 
clean relationship with our own anger um, is something that I think goes beyond a transit and is about, you know, the mystery of, of being and engaging personal development and whatnot. So that, you know, some people repress their anger, don't have a lot of access to it. And so they find themselves in situations where they are accepting things that are not acceptable to them. And they're kind of like doormatting themselves um, and kind of in like a fog or something. And so to liberate anger could create uh, maybe initially a little bit of messiness, like lashing out and kind of like figuring out like how to socially even navigate that. But eventually it's like, oh, anger is here. Like I have energy. I can create change. Or some people have, you know, extreme excess of anger and they're learning about how to um, kind of hold their build their capacity to hold it um, and contain it in some sense from spilling out. Um, personally, I have more experience with the first one of not having access to anger and learning how to channel it. So I can speak a little bit better to that one. Um, but I've found that the situation itself that is kind of like the, um, the trigger point where it's like enough is enough. It's built on a bigger, um, iceberg, like if you will, like there is a lot more to the situation. Um, so in this current moment with Mars and Pluto together, it does feel like a sensitive or kind of hot, um, energy, but there's probably a deeper history Capricorn to the situation as well as deeper implications for what it means about what we've been accepting, what is no longer acceptable and how to integrate this new awareness. And then Venus in 27 degrees of Capricorn will conjunct Pluto in 27 degrees of Capricorn at 9.56 a.m. So Venus, Pluto. We might want to be sensitive to the ways that our most tender, true desires of the heart become places of affliction. Wanting to be beautiful, but never actually allowing ourselves to feel that way because of a persecutory inner critic wanting connection, but staving it off by being controlling of ourselves and others, wanting success or power, but hating to see it in others, twisting our relationship with art making by putting undue pressure on ourselves, wanting a stable life, but thinking money is bad and so on. Like you catch my drift, right? The way that we can become kind of twisted around our desire. And so part of um, Venus Pluto is becoming kind of surrendering to like, I have a desire. What's the deeper thing here? You know, and it's usually if we get twisted around a desire, it's because we don't feel like we can have it. Like we're not allowed to have it. It's not possible. And so there's this kind of, um, shame that can come up or a sense of like, we just feel disempowered, like powerless to have the thing that we want. And, Part of the creative transformation or evolution that can happen with Venus Pluto is uncoiling some of that intense resistance around the desire and finding um, our greater kind of empowerment or creative agency within our relationship to that desire. And sometimes, you know, that can often involve a transformation of how we think that desire is going to come to us or how we can be open and available to it. But back to, you know, the, the twisting, this alignment could speak to some of the romantic, hot, magnetic shells that we put on, um, which even if we're guarded or putting up this like tough front, there's still this allure. There's this feeling of it feeling good to be like impenetrable or unfuckwithable. This is like a glamour magic in the note of Capricorn, you know, like the boundaries, the gates, um, and a limiting defense mechanism. If we don't have the range to take these layers off when it's appropriate to the moment or the true desire of the heart, and we get lost in the shell, get lost in the external veneer. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm speaking of the difference between having the capacity to embody oneself in a more powerful and stylized avatar versus getting lost in the mask, right? Like maybe, you know, the feeling of getting dressed up or being in a situation that allows you to feel really powerful. And it's fun to embody that, right? I'm not saying don't do it. So for example, feeling the resilience within oneself to persevere and still build towards something instead of collapsing into a state of decay and despair can be adaptive and magical. Sometimes Venusian things like fashion, a choice of how we costume or adorn ourselves, or the things, the props, the accoutrements that we have can support these aims. We might even like the identity of being this unstoppable force of nature and thus romanticize our hardship in a way that helps us, in a way that helps it move um, or in a way that keeps us addicted to recreating it again and again. On the other side of this armoring process, which is designed to be impermeable to or to overcome a threat, is the de-armoring, a relaxing and settling. We get here from being tired of holding the pressure and realizing that our very identity structure is keeping love farther away from us. Our personality or our relational patterns become a cage and it becomes more liberating to live into the dismantling of it. So I'm sharing a, a YouTube link in the notes as well of one of the characters from Encanto. I'm forgetting her name now, but she's the one who's really strong. Um, her kind of musical number where she talks about the pressure of holding all the weight and what it would be like to kind of drop that weight. So Capricorn, you know, has this gift of compartmentalizing and kind of, um, having grit, being tough. And I think it's interesting to consider how um, completely unique to particular situations and individuals this is, because some people are very armored and it's hurting them and keeping a lot at bay. And it's like their work to de-armor. Um, some people are spilling out everywhere and um, building some kind of like integrity structure in their system, building the capacity to say like compartmentalize um, could be beneficial to them, right? And so the archetype of being able to have that, you know, I feel like Venus and Pluto and Capricorn is this beautiful toughness, this sense of like, you can't cross, like very impenetrable, um, that that can be adaptive and meaningful in certain situations, as well as an affliction um, in others, depending on our relationship with it and the ways that it's showing up. And then on March 5th, the sun in 14 degrees of Pisces will conjunct Jupiter in 14 degrees of Pisces at 6.06 a.m., and amid the more smoldering energies of Mars, Venus, Pluto, which is a hot transit, um, the Jupiter Kazemi here is like a laughing Buddha energy, a sense of joviality, a sense of fortune or all being well, a capacity to see the divine comedy. Really in the way of the mystic, right? Seeing the oneness in everything. Here, this also gives us space for occupying many different emotional states, what it could mean to be genuinely happy while also tending to a threat of grief or feeling the flush of anger move through our bodies. How we can see the holism among the many intersecting threads of the particular and allow life to be that diverse. There's a strong call for wisdom in the moment that dissolves our consciousness that is more based in fear and I'm not speaking here of emotional compensatory behavior, like trying to smooth things over from a mental or emotional place, like everything's fine, like when it's when there's something that isn't, uh, but an actual courting of miracle as defined in A Course of Miracles, the transformation of fear to love. Um, so certain things like. Like. 
This one I picked up from Colin Bedell. I think he spoke of like a prayer where you ask for celestial intervention in your thoughts. Like if you're in an anxiety loop or a fear loop, kind of opening to another perspective that comes from um, a more spiritual place. Um, it could be something to like Ho'oponopono uh, forgiveness practice um, or different kinds of spiritual or kind of like energetic energy healing kind of techniques where we transform our relationship with the reality around us from an inner level. And this can produce miracles whereby the external changes, not because we changed it at a material level, but because we changed our relationship with the reality. And I think it's interesting that this sun Jupiter is happening at the same time as the Venus Mars Pluto, because it kind of gives me like a Bhagavad Gita energy of like Arjuna having to, in this very spiritualized, you know, moment, this spiritual journey, decide whether or not he's going to fight. And I feel like that can come up with, um, you know, Mars can often be um, difficult situations or not necessarily like a kind of challenge, not something that is just leisure, like a walk in the park. And to have Sun Jupiter happening at the same time, there could be that perspective of, what am I learning here? Like, what's the spiritual arc or spiritual development that's happening in this situation? And then on this same day, Mars enters Aquarius at 1023 AM. Shortly after Venus will enter Aquarius and then Venus and Mars will conjoin. And those are the last trends that I have to share. There was a lot this week. So Mars will be in Aquarius until April 14th. Mars in Aquarius is like an actor or agent in the matrix through and with conceptual understanding of the nature of reality and its various matrices, we experience freedom to move or feel obstructed to move. So various matrices, I mean, there is reality itself. There is spiritual reality. There is normal life reality. There is the matrix of a school, the matrix of a particular counterculture. Um, essentially, it's just different realities and different reality subsets, um, if that makes sense. Such an Aquarius kind of wording there. But um, Aquarius ultimately promotes the breakthrough or the sense of freedom that often comes through changes in perspective, right? So we could be in a situation and have this very limited mental framework about what opportunities are in the situation and what would it be like to decondition from that and see reality in a less conditioned way? We might think of things we haven't even thought of before, you know, as well as perhaps things that we have previously believed were not possible because of our conditioning or a trauma related to the situation. Mars in Aquarius brings energy to the innovator, the deviant, the free one, one who sees more pathways and side doors inside of any given matrix than the conditions stay inside the lion's consciousness will. So really like a dynamism and energy here toward innovation and freedom of thought. And then Venus enters Aquarius at 10.30 p.m., and we'll stay in Aquarius until April 5th. Venus in Aquarius can relate to the process of bringing real spaciousness into our connections with others, where we are able to relate to people as they are and not feel the need to filter them into our own paradigm. If, um, you know, and if connection isn't there, just letting people be on their way, not the sense of needing to make people be any different, whether we want to be in connection to them or not. And this looks like letting people have their weirdness, their quirkiness, their imperfections without actually being personally bothered by it. Like it's totally not personal. For a lot of people, this is easier to do in friendships than in romantic partnerships, where in the latter, we feel more expectation and need the other to be a certain way because they're our other half or like we're building a life with them. And there's that sense of having more desire for them to be a certain way. Whereas with friends, it's easier to not 
see or talk to them for a month and then pick up, you know, where we left off. No big deal. And not feel like they need to change. It's not always true, right? But there's a general higher degree of spaciousness afforded to friends. And so this energy of spaciousness here with Venus and Aquarius is not about not having standards or preferences um, and just being okay with anything, but the openness within our heart and capacity for relating where we can just enjoy people as they are and relate creatively from there freely. We might also feel aware of the relationships where we feel free to simply be and like feel seen in that. Aquarius does not always just relate to this kind of spacious freedom, though. That would be nice. Aquarius can run thick mental programs, such as a type of groupthink or a trauma patterning, um, even like a chemical patterning or a default reaction at our personality runs in certain situations, like programs, you know, um, relationships can often provide a mirror to where these fixed places are. Deeper intimate connections may also carry layers of trauma bonds where each person's triggers or unconscious material activates the others. This can then relate to the energetic matrix of the relationship. So where the security lasers as though it's like a museum and that's the security system and how do they get deactivated and repatterned um, if reconciliation is a deeper evolutionary pulse or wish of the relationship. So you know, like all of our relations, um, at a higher level of distance, these places of like the interlocking triggers may not come up as much unless the trigger is distance related. But when it comes to intimacy and being, um, close to people, it's like, each person's wounding or programs or traumas end up confronting the others. And there can be ways that they'll interlock or relate to each other. Um, one of the really common ones that's talked about is like with attachment styles, like the avoidant type and the anxious type being kind of mirrored to or matched to each other, drawn to each other, even though they represent each other's fear, right? Like that way that when we're running um, a trauma program, and so within Aquarius, trauma and freedom are related because trauma is kind of like a matrix um, of, you know, patterns in the body and mind that can keep us, you know, it's designed as a protection, um, but often it it filters out more uh, than just what we want to filter out. It creates a sense of limitation. Um, it obstructs free moving through reality because there's this kind of security system set up around that trauma pattern. And so when the trauma is cleared, um, sometimes it's cleared through insight, through time, um, or these like somatic trauma healing technologies, um, ritual, ceremony, EFT, tapping, um, traumatic release exercise, a psychedelic journey, you know, you name it. Um, as that program or that kind of trauma matrix is dissolved, delayered, then it's like there's all this extra freedom and way to move about life that was kind of barred or off limits before. And I think of trauma at this point in some sense, like it's our, it's an internal boundary in a lot of ways. Um, it forms a paradigm and paradigms can be cages, right? And so to clear that layer of trauma is to open the cage door and like have more pathways to move about reality through. And with Venus and Aquarius, it just has me thinking about where we do that with other people, like where the, um, you know, I had the kind of gift of experiencing that with a friend recently where 
there was like a um, challenge in our dynamic, our way of relating. And it was really intense. Like it was a sore spot for both of us. And the, you know, both of us have, you know, years of friendship and a love for each other that is bigger than this, like that current tension or kind of electric charge in the relationship. And as we were kind of moving through it, we saw that it was like unconscious parts of ourselves relating with each other, that there was like a, um, it was a, like a trauma bond part of the connection. And so sometimes that energy in relationships, like we don't have the tools or the capacity to work through it. Um, and it just creates a sense of dissonance that, you know, nothing can happen. But I think often with close relationships, relationships that have longevity, relationships where there's a mutual um, desire to work through things, that these interlocking triggers or trauma bonds part of the connection do show themselves. And it's part of um, how we evolve with other people. And then same day, Venus in zero degrees of Aquarius will conjunct Mars in zero degrees of Aquarius, giving us our last of many exact conjunctions of the week. And this is at 11, 12 p.m. Pacific. And this officially puts Venus in between Mars and Saturn. Venus is the faster moving one and she'll pass Mars and then be in between uh, Mars and Saturn, which even as this and any transit has higher octaves, um, this could be challenging. Venus in between Mars and Saturn. Um, Venus, her agenda is around beauty, leisure, pleasure, and receptivity. And her connection to Mars and Saturn here feels like she has some work to do or some challenges to address before she has, you know, before she gets to relax. So some images that come to mind would be someone who's feeling uptight on vacation and it takes them a moment to settle in and begin to enjoy or someone who's on a psychedelic trip and has to face something spiky before they enter a more fun or pleasant part of the trip. Someone who feels insecure and self-critical at a party before they warm up to themselves and other people, right? Like a sense that it would be nice if things were just fun and beautiful and pleasurable, but there's something uh, in the way of that. Um, and kind of, is it too much? Do we just like leave the situation or disengage? Or is there that kind of like leaning in um, of like catching ourselves, feeling self-critical and awkward at a party and being like, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> I'm going to befriend myself and like form connections with others. I'm going to move through this like sticky part. Or is that really out of range for us some night? And we're just like, I'm going to go home. Just seeing where we're at with that. At a higher level, this could relate to the way that intimacy is a process of moving through gates or layers, and that intimacy is a constant path of being with, often a way through to the experiences that we privilege the most, uh, privilege, sorry, as the most, special, juicy, pleasurable, I'm losing my notes. <laughs> These experiences that we are privileging the most as juicy and pleasurable and magical and whatnot. The way through to them can often include surrendering to presence with the parts of ourselves that feel closed, disenchanted, numb, and awkward. I definitely feel that in the field. <laughs> I went through this process I told you a couple weeks back of like, deciding what kind of day it's going to be and having a gratitude practice. And the beginning of it was like really fun and juicy and magical. And then it's like, I hit this bedrock layer of some more challenging material. And it's like, I'm not going to stop my practice, but what I've found is that it's like an initiation to open into that layer because this process of opening or, um, 
you know, being on the Venusian path of receptivity, right, of like building our relationship with joy and pleasure is not just about things feeling good all the time, um, because in the body, like as the body is releasing emotions, um, not every layer is sweet, right? Like there's the whole like totality of experience. And if we're thinking about kind of like Venus Mars as this willfulness to love, this willfulness to express affection. And I see Venus and Mars in Aquarius. And so, yeah, that could relate to some like late night electric conversations and like, you know, fun socializing. The way I'm feeling it, though, as a transit, it seems like those like electric, like, uh, dissonant layers and the sense of leaning into relationship with that discomfort or that activation or that trigger, not just rushing into it in some like overboard kind of way, but a kind of subtle curiosity of, you know, I feel this wave of grief today, like what's there and being with it and developing greater, um, bandwidth, one of my favorite Aquarius words, to be with um, ourselves, right? So an impulsive response to some of the discomforts presented by Venus and Mars together in Aquarius could be to disengage, um, to tap out. And if that's where we're at, we don't have to push ourselves, right? But another strategy that might be more penetrating and opening could be to relax into presence and curiosity about the matter at hand, to enter that uncomfortable tension incrementally as a building process for personal bandwidth and capacity. So that brings us to the end of all of these planetary conjunctions, new moon in Pisces and a lot of planets joining together in the sky. Um, just to echo kind of what I shared at the beginning about the ending of cycles and the beginnings of cycles, um, notice like as these transits go exact, if you want to, you know, you don't have to like go look at the timestamps, but feel in your experience where you're starting to feel like you don't know what's going on. Like there's some possibility, but you don't really know where things are headed and how easy it is to project a story onto it of the way it's going to be. And as a point of liberation and creative possibility, when we tell more generative and creative stories about ourselves and our lives, we create more opportunities for ourselves, right? Like Shaman Durek said something once about people who've lived great lives, you know, in shamanism, they call them like good dreamers or something because they created a lot of opportunities for themselves. And so Mercury Saturn is maybe giving us some time to slow down and be with our thoughts and like see our thoughts concretely as things and to notice like, you know, being at the start of some new experience and being pessimistic. And it's like, is that pessimism really founded on, you know, what is that founded on supposedly? The mind can be very convincing or whatever, but is it actually that, or is that just a projection of some level of fear, some trauma from the past? Where do we have the space um, to anticipate something better, right? To be in the throes of some kind of normal conflicts that we tend to have with ourselves, like I've been here a bunch of times, and ask the question, could it be a different way? What do I really desire? And starting to play more with possibility, noting that possibility is a place to project our hopes, dreams, wishes, fears, and anxieties, right? And so if it's a blank canvas, why not make something creatively? Um, why not open ourselves, Pisces, to spirit and our relationship with the universe um, and ask to be inspired? to see beyond what we can currently see. So I'll leave it here and just invite you again to like this video and leave a comment and let me know how you're doing or what resonated with you. And I'll see you again soon.